0: Well good morning, my name is David Lee from Redeemer Presbyterian Church downtown and I was here about a year and a half ago or so and uh, when I came last time it was uh, 80 degrees, maybe 85, bright and sunny and it was not uh, daylight savings so um, Mark actually I think he said for every one of those days you get you got to come out here for one of these days and so I'm equally happy to be here today. Uh, with you guys worshiping and uh, preaching God's Word. Uh, Let me read God's Word for us this morning. Our passage comes from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. Hear God's Word. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts, if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife... And all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Uh, Would you just mind praying with me for a second? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come to you as your people to hear your living, breathing word, that it might change us and shape us and take root in our lives, that we might know who we truly are in you. And so we pray that you would speak, that we would hear, and that you would change us by your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a little bit of uh, a little bit more of a background about myself. There's a there's a short bio in the back um, that I that I provided. You can read it there. Uh, but basically, um, I, uh, I was a Korean American immigrant where, who moved to the states when I was three years old. Uh, I moved to Delaware and I grew up in Delaware basically for my entire um, childhood. Small suburban, uh, very very small suburban town. And then I moved to New York, New York City, I attended college there, I went to NYU, I studied finance, and I've been living there for the past 14 years, uh, studied finance, graduated there, and worked on Wall Street for a number of years, and now I am a, uh, one of the pastors at Redeemer downtown in Manhattan, and also recently engaged uh, the past uh, month or so ago, and so I'm planning for my wedding uh, here in July. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, and that is basically my life in a nutshell. And if you kind of parse out each one of those sections, you can probably think and assume, wow, this guy must have had uh, an identity crisis. Because there are so many factors that were actually in play that were shaping and bombarding um, who I was and what my identity was. And I actually grew up thinking a lot about my identity. Uh, I grew up, in, like I said, in a small town. I also grew up in the church. Uh, And it was sort of this uh, Asian um, immigrant church background in a small town, which meant that that particular community told me to build my identity a certain way, which was basically to bring honor to our family, to our communities by achieving the American dream, which is why I I studied hard. I I paid for my own um, uh, SAT prep class, which people hear that and they think I'm crazy that I would spend my own money to do that. But... It was sort of the pressures that were put on me to achieve uh, a lot, to go to a good school, to um, make the sacrifices of my parents all worth it by achieving the American dream. And it was an identity that basically said that the whole is much bigger than the individual. Now then, from there, I went on to to New York, and I grew up in a very Western, very secular, very modern city that thought very differently, in a very uh, individualistic way that said, Be you. Do what you want to do. Don't let uh, oppressive families or tradition or religion or culture dictate who you are. You get to choose. And that, um, uh, that culture basically said that the individual is greater than the whole. And so you can kind of start to see these two opposing forces that were working in my life. And, it's, uh, and, and you wonder why I didn't have such an identity crisis and I thought about this, and it's actually because they both had a lot of things in common. They both combined to make me into a person that couldn't stop achieving because I was afraid that I was going to be rejected ultimately. And so I had to continue to work so hard for the approval of my, my family and my communities back home. And then I also found that I had to work so hard in order to continue to, quote-unquote, make it in New York City. Why? Why? Why these two seemingly opposite ways to form an identity were working together that made me um, want to continue to achieve? Well, I think it's this. Uh, there's uh, Tony Schwartz who wrote the the Art of Deal Making uh, has his blog in the New York Times, and he says basically, you know, he asks the question: Why does Michael Phelps, who's achieved literally every accolade you could possibly achieve as a swimmer, continue put himself through rigorous regimen of training year after year after year when he winning another medal probably won't change his legacy. Why is it that billionaires continue to work so hard year after year when an incremental million here or two won't make any kind of material difference? And he says, because once our basic needs are met, we human beings arguably crave value above all else. We each want desperately to matter. To feel a sense of worthiness. You want to know that who you are, deep inside, really matters to someone, to anyone. And so though my background might seem like this clash of cultures of identities, I think they were both trying to find the same thing. It was to find a sense of self and a sense of worth that was ultimately going to be praiseworthy, loved, and not rejected. And I think I'm going to venture to say that we all here in this room and here in this world crave that kind of an identity, that kind of a sense of self. But the problem becomes when you consider how you get such a thing. Now, what does our passage that I just read for us this morning have to do with any of that? Well, everything, because baptism is inherently All about identity. And the passage that I just read for us uh, in Luke chapter 3 centers around these words, these beautiful words that are spoken over Jesus in verses 22. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And this statement that kind of comes, drops out from heaven spoken over Jesus is not, uh, not only significant to the identity of who Jesus is, but it's ultimately extremely significant for the identities of ourselves because I'm going to contend for us this morning that's only when we can find our identities found in Christ that we can really have an identity that is praiseworthy, loved, accepted, approved, without fear of rejection. So that's what we're going to look at this morning uh, and to see what this passage says about not only Jesus' identity but ours. Let's look at three things. We're going to look at how do we get an identity today, then we're going to look at what does this baptism say about Jesus' identity. And then lastly, we're going to look at, well, how does baptism then, how does that give us a new identity? Right? So we're going to look at how do we get an identity today. We'll look at Jesus' baptism and what that says about his identity. Then ultimately, basically, what does that mean for us and our identity? So first, how do we get an identity today? Well, you know, you don't really realize how an identity is formed Right? You don't just wake up in the morning and start to think, man, the ha- living out here in, in Long Island, that really shapes who I'm becoming. Right? You don't think those things. Uh, I, at least I, I certainly didn't. If you did, if you do, then you're, you're quite intuitive and um, you're probably, uh, you know, think a lot on, on the inside. But I think most people don't do that because there are a lot of these subversive forces that we can't really see, that we're not quite conscious to, that are constantly shaping our identities, um, like I said, I started with a very traditional, in a sense, Eastern uh, identity that, um, that subversively told me that the community is so important and who you are therefore determines who you are in the community. Therefore, what the community thought about me and what I achieved or what I did uh, really helped me to find and identify who I was. So I felt really great about myself when I got into a good college. I didn't feel good about myself when I didn't get into Harvard which most people don't. And uh, I don't really know many people who actually got in, uh, in fr- from my town, but that was sort of the expectation that was set uh, on us. Um, it was one that basically said that the whole, again, is way more important than the individual. That's very different from our Western culture. And if you know anyone from, um, from sort of traditional Eastern, um, Eastern cultures, you, you can kind of sense that. You can see how strong and deep that community is because it's really it's a shame and honor culture it's one that says what you do as an individual really affects the whole I remember growing up um, I I don't really watch soccer but I watch soccer every four years during the World Cup and uh, I'm a US citizen I grew up here for most of my life but for whatever reason every four years I'm very Korean and uh, I start start wearing red and we start cheering for uh, the Korean national team Um, some of my best memories as a family is waking up at you know 4 a.m. in the morning because it's playing somewhere overseas and you you wake up to watch those games and um, i remember that my entire church community then was very distraught when uh, the national team didn't play well and and in fact there's i I think it was 2012 or so not not too long ago where the team was not that strong and um, the national team you know they're all like 20 something year olds and they fly back in after losing in the group rounds uh, basically underachieving and the shame that they brought to the country was palpable I mean, they came out of the plane with their heads hung down and people were there to greet them in order to let them know how disapproving they were of them. And they were throwing things at them. And yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a really, you know, that's a great picture of what a shame and honor uh, culture does and what that does to, to shape your identity. And it says, unless you do the things that we, we approve of in our community, there is fear that you might be rejected. Now you might not belong anymore. That's always kind of hanging over our heads. I'm in my early 30s. I just uh, recently got engaged and getting married, which is you know right at the cusp of okay. My parents aren't nagging me as much, but if there, there are many people right now who get a phone call from their parents every day asking, "Did you meet someone nice yet? Are you married yet?" Because if if you're not, you might bring shame to our family. So it puts a lot of pressure. Uh, on, on a lot of my friends to, to get married or to have a certain kind of life, a particular kind of a lifestyle. And the pressures are high because the stakes are high because you might get rejected from community. That's sort of the traditional identity that I grew up in. Now, like I said, I moved to a very modern one, uh, living in New York City for my uh, entire adult life. And unfortunately, the modern identities that we are shaped to have now are also extremely shaky because you might go from that... A traditional identity, say, well, that's not going to work for me. I'm going to move over here. I like this modern Western identity. Well, if we dig a little bit deeper in what the kinds of identities that our modern world wants us to have, it's also extremely, extremely shaky. And if you want to know what kind of an identity that that our modern Western world wants us to have, you can just listen to any pop culture song out there, watch any movie, uh, listen to any Katy Perry song, and you'll really see it in there. But one way that this really struck home to me was uh, in an advertisement that I saw on the New York City subway on 14th Street. And uh, it was for Zico Coconut Water. Now, in 2016, Zico Coconut Water uh, launched this national campaign with Jessica Alba. And the tagline of that campaign was, what's inside is everything. And two particular advertisements that I saw in the subway, one was um, this beautiful blue bottle that looks super refreshing in this dirty dingy subway and uh, it says it doesn't matter what's against you when you know what's within you Zico coconut water then you walk a couple of couple of steps down and then there's another one Jessica Alba is in like a yoga yoga suit and she's like sweating she's got this really refreshing coconut water and it says if nothing else be like nothing else what's inside is everything now Let's parse that a little bit. Now, what is Zico Coconut Water saying in these advertisements? Basically saying that your sense of self and your sense of worth should be found only by looking where? Deep, deep within yourself. That you are all you need to be worthy in this world. And what you find inside when you look should be like nothing else. Because you are an awesome individual. You don't have to be afraid of what you find in there. It's going to be great. Now, that sounds good, particularly if you're coconut water, because what's inside is everything. If you're coconut water, and we're going to drink you, and now what's inside you is going to be what's inside me. So it does matter tremendously what's inside coconut water. But the problem becomes when that mantra is applied to how we shape and form our identities today. Because the message becomes, don't try to get affirmation from others or anywhere else about who you are. Be you. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Robert Bella, he calls this modern identity. He tags it as expressive individualism. He says, all former cultures, people develop the self by moving toward others, seeking their attachment, by basically by looking outside of themselves. But modern secularism teaches that we can develop ourselves only by looking inward, by detaching and leaving home religious communities, and all other requirements so that we can make our own choices and determine who we are for ourselves. Just like Zico Coconut Water. That might sound okay on paper, but there are quite a number of problems with this. I'll just highlight a few for us. The first is that there is a lot of pressure to be like nothing else. And it ultimately leads to a ton of dissatisfaction. I mean, there's no wonder that our modern identities are so obsessed with materialism, with consumerism, because we've got this era of a million options, right? And you have to continue to distinguish yourself over and over again by finding the next best thing, because that's what's gonna distinguish you as an individual. And it ultimately leads to a lot of dissatisfaction because you can never be sure what else is coming up next. Uh, You guys ever turn on Netflix? And now it's just like, what do I watch? And you might spend 45 minutes just flipping through, looking for the perfect thing that's going to satisfy this weird desire to watch some crime suspense show, but you want it to be a comedy with some romance, and you're like, ah, what do I... Got? And then by then, you just spent that whole time not watching anything, and you ultimately end up really feeling dissatisfied. It leads to, this, to, this, to diminishing returns. Um, It's also extremely crushing, this modern identity, because if all of your worthiness comes from what's inside you, well then guess what? Now you are fully responsible to create yourself, which means it's all up to you and you alone, whether you succeed or whether you fail. You cannot blame anything or anyone else if it's all inside you, right? And one writer says that that makes our our self-worth way more fragile in the face of failure than ever before in the history of the world. Says we're way more vulnerable to the recognition of the people that we deem worthy in our lives. The stakes are so high because now it's pointing to something of your worthiness deep, deep, deep within yourself. And lastly, the last problem I'll, I'll highlight for us in this modern identity is that it's actually impossible to validate yourself. Okay? It's actually impossible to deem yourself worthy. Now, as, as much as we'd like to think that we don't give a hoot what anyone else in the world thinks or says about me, I don't care, I know what I'm, I, I'm all about, the reality is that you can't really live that way. Just imagine this. Uh, say I'm, I'm sitting up here and there are uh, all of you out here and every single one of you looked at me and you thought that I was a monster. You thought I was the worst person in the world. You thought I was disgusting. Now you would have to be quite, quite deranged in a sense to think that that would have no effect on me, that it wouldn't pierce my, my self-esteem or my psyche. That actually is really an impossible way to live. And because we are meant to be social and relational beings, we can't escape getting our worth and our validation from outside of ourselves. It's meant to work that way. We're not meant to validate ourselves. It's supposed to come in relationship. Now, the traditional identity does that way too much, right? But the modern identity says we don't need that at all. And even when modern people claim to be self-validating and um, self-deeming themselves worthy, the reality is, is that they are just moving from getting approval from one place to somewhere else. They're still looking without themselves. Even if they say, I agree with Zico Coconut Water, it doesn't matter what's outside me, it's all what's inside me, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Well, you know where you're getting your approval and validation from there? Jessica Alba and Zico Coconut Water. It's still something from outside yourself. I mean, it's basically, you're moving from uh, having one set of cheerleaders and now you're just moving to a different group to have a different set of cheerleaders to deem yourself worthy. It's like leaving one Facebook group and just joining another one to get your likes. So ultimately, whether you are looking at a modern identity or a traditional identity, both of those ideas, you're left with this fragile vulnerable, and therefore very threatened identity that's never quite sure of your sense of self, your sense of worth, whether you're loved, approved, or whether that's going to be rejected. Now, who does that sound like in our passage? Sounds a lot like King Herod, doesn't it? This king who, uh, once he's challenged for living in a particular way by John the Baptist, what does he do? He can't take it. And so he, he has a very threatened psyche. And so he punishes John the Baptist. He throws him in jail. The types of identities that we're meant to have is not meant to look and feel so threatened and anxious and insecure. So the question, let me just pause here for a second. Let me ask us a question. Where is it that you find your identity? Where is it that you're looking for approval in order to be deemed worthy where or in who do you feel most loved and the question for us is can that be taken away can they change their minds can you ultimately be rejected are you vulnerable and fragile in that kind of a way now I'm sure we're all not feeling great about ourselves Um, But I've got good news for us, because there is another way to build your identity that is in stark contrast to both a modern identity as well as a traditional identity. And believe it or not, there actually is an identity that won't give you more pressure and anxiety to perform and achieve, but it can give you rest. There's an identity that won't crush you, but it'll give you life, and one that isn't self-validated or needing the validation of your community or other people around you for fear of being rejected. But instead, there's an identity that will be deemed worthy and loved and approved by the creator of the universe. And the best part of all that is that you can never lose it. It's there for good. That sounds great, doesn't it? But in order for us to understand and get this kind of a new identity, we've got to first see what this baptism says about Jesus's identity. Right? So we've looked at how do we get an identity today, but now in order to actually move to what does that mean for us, we have to first uh, go through the identity of Jesus because it's in, uh, only in understanding his unique personhood revealed to us in his baptism that we're able to understand how we are given this kind of a new identity. And so we have to look at what does this passage say about Jesus, and why? Why does it ultimately? Why does it matter? You know, I, for me, growing up in the church, we talked about Jesus every week. I heard about Jesus probably every other day. And a lot of times, growing up, I couldn't put two and two together. Why does that really matter? Who is he? How does that change your life? How does that change my life? And I think this text for us is really important in us understanding who he is why he came, and ultimately why it matters for us. And that's really easy for us to lose sight of uh, quite often. And so let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at exactly who he is and what he came to do. Well, verses 21 and 22 in our passage, I think it helps us to answer that who question where we read, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, most commentators say that this alludes to a lot of these passages in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, who talks about this long-awaited chosen one through whom God will not only save Israel, but who, through whom he will accomplish his mission for the world, for the entire world. Listen to this. Isaiah 42 says, "Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations." Isaiah 61 says, "The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom" To prisoners. So who is this long-awaited Messiah that the that the prophet Isaiah is speaking of? Well this text tells us it's it's him. It is him. This is the divine endorsement of who Jesus is as the one. Chosen, favored, approved of the very son of god through whom all the promises of god will be accomplished in the world it's him it's him he's here it's been confirmed there's no more waiting there's no more shadows there's no more typology there's no more symbolism he is the greater and final moses and the greater and final david he is the one that you have been looking for and you have been waiting for. It's him. It is confirmed. Well, then what does he come to do if that's him? Well, we read that he comes to bring salvation through judgment. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at our passage, there's, like, there's this weird mixture uh, of John the Baptist saying, uh, repent and believe or you're going to be thrown into the fire of judgment and all of that. Yet, he talks about salvation. And even in our Isaiah passages, there's this mixture of this language between salvation as well as judgment, isn't there? This good news language mixed with judgment language, why? Well, because our world is full of injustice. Our world is full of evil and brokenness. I mean, look around yourselves, look inside of yourselves, look around at the world around us. You cannot deny it that there is something wrong. And we all have this deep sense of justice that that we want in this world. Something has to be dealt with. That's all we want, isn't it? We all want all the wrongs that were ever done to us made right. We all want all the wrongs that we've ever done to anyone else undone. We all want healed communities. We want fullness, wholeness. We want peace. We want shalom, right? And the Bible says that the cause of all of that ultimately is because we are alienated from God. It says that we haven't lived the way that we were meant to live in relationship with Him. And that includes all of us. The Apostle Paul in Romans says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. And so therefore, what that meant is that we have ultimately lost our identities, the way that it was always meant to be given to us first by God. God was supposed to speak the first and primary word over us in our lives, and yet we rejected it. And we chose to find our sense of worth and our sense of self in anything and everything but Him. I mean, in short, we've chosen to worship the created thing rather than the Creator Himself when we look for either a traditional identity or a modern identity. But now, all that was wrong with us in this world due to being in a wrong relationship with God will be healed, will be redeemed, will be renewed, will be restored, will be saved through who? My son whom I love, Jesus. And it's through him and him alone that good news will come for God's people and for this world. That's what's revealed in the baptism of Jesus, in this divine endorsement, in this identification of who God, of who Jesus is. It's his unique role to accomplish what God wants for this world and for us. So, last question then, is how... Does this give us a new identity? Now, if you're listening carefully, you'd see that we are also all in the wrong here, right? If salvation comes through Jesus uh, and it comes through judgment, well, quite honestly, aren't we also worthy of judgment? I mean, haven't we hurt others? Aren't we a part of the brokenness? Don't we see alienation and feel alienation from God and from one another? Don't we know that we're not perfect? Don't we know that we found our identities in anything and everything but God? And so why are we so deserving of being restored in an identity that can be stable and loved? How are we able to have an identity that we don't quite deserve? Well, the answer comes then in our baptism in Christ. Now, the parallel text that was read earlier in the service uh, comes from Romans chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. New life. You see what the Apostle Paul is saying here saying judgment for all of our sin and our alienation from God that we could never pay came where? On the cross. When we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And now it's because of Jesus, this chosen one, and his life and his death and resurrection in our place, that when we put our trust and our faith in him, as our lord as our savior as one who can give us new life you know what happens his death becomes our death that we should have died and his life now becomes our new life when you're baptized in christ that means your old life and all of the identity that you once found outside of outside of god one that leads to fear of rejection and anxiety and depression for fear of having to continue to achieve over and over again to validate yourself is now dead. You you are dead and you've been buried with Christ. And instead, when you're baptized in Him, you now are brought to be a new creation, to have a new life, one that takes on the merits of Christ and what He has done. This is drastically different from any kind of an identity that we can get today, whether it's a traditional or a modern one or or anything else that you can find out here. Because this is an identity that cannot be achieved, but it must be received in the work of Christ alone. Which means now you don't have to continue to seek validation and approval. You don't have to have that pressure and anxiety of, of having to having to whether to validate yourself or having others validate you who might change their minds. You don't have to keep looking to things that are gonna ultimately move you further and further from your identity in Christ, but now you can be assured of who you are in Christ because of what he has done in your place, the thing that you and I could never do. So Christianity gives us a completely Different kind of an identity. One that says nothing that you could ever do could ever merit God's love and approval over your life. You know how scary that is? Because we we inherently we want to prove ourselves. And it's scary actually when you look inside yourself and you see actually I can't do it. I will fail. I have failed. What's inside is not everything. And at the end of the day, thank the Lord. That it's not everything. Because there's nothing that you could ever do that could ever merit God's love and approval of your life. Instead, it's not earned, but it's given to you by grace and grace alone. That means that now when God looks at you, if you're baptized in Christ, when He looks at you, He doesn't see your failures, He doesn't see how many times you messed up, He doesn't see how you brought shame to a community. You know what He sees? He sees the righteousness of Christ the perfect work of his son. And therefore now, when he looks at you, he says to you, you are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. No matter what you might be feeling about yourself that day, deep inside, no matter what others might be saying about you that day, you have the love and approval of God himself because of what Christ has done. And that, my friends, completely changes everything. It completely changes how you operate as a human being here in this world. It's extremely practical. I mean, let's think about it. Isn't it interesting how this baptism story comes in Luke chapter what? Chapter 3, right? In the beginning of the Gospels not Luke chapter 15 or Luke chapter 22, right? Jesus has yet to go out into the wilderness to resist, temp- to, to resist temptation in Satan. He has yet to heal thousands or, or feed thousands of people or heal people miraculously. And he has yet to go to the cross in perfect obedience and faith before the Father. He has yet to do any of that. You know what that tells us? It tells us that the pronouncement of the Father over Jesus is exactly what equips Jesus for the work ahead. That means he didn't work to gain the Father's love. He worked precisely because he was loved and accepted. He was the only one who could actually go out into this world knowing who he was fully, truly. And that equipped him to go out into this world to do the work that God had given him. Not to prove himself. Not to earn an identity because he, was, he knew fully who he was. Just imagine for me, with me for a second, waking up each morning, wherever your bed is, how the sunlight hits, your alarm goes off, and you know that you've got tons of emails to get to. And before you even get to that, before you hear this, the kids screaming and yelling, and before your uh, different relationships that you have in your life demand all these things from you before you've done a thing when you've got bad breath crazy hair stuff in your eyes when you are uh, of a state that would never be accepted if you just walked out here that way imagine being in that state laying in bed half awake knowing and hearing God's word of approval and love spoken over you you are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. and you, I am well pleased. Before you do a single thing. Imagine how that would change how you go out. And before you can don any other identity that day as a mother, as a father, as uh, an uncle, as a sister, as a relative, as a spouse, as an architect, as an artist, as a banker. Before you can do any of that. You hear God's word spoken over you, truth spoken over you from the outside in, deeming you worthy and approving you before you've done or accomplished a single thing. And God's voice is the first and foremost voice that shapes who you are, that determines who you are, that gives you an identity that's not achieved but received, the way that it was always meant to be. And then you go out into this world, just as Jesus did, working from your, baptis- your baptism and your identity in Christ, rather than for an identity. And you take on all that is to come that day, that week, this month, this year. All that's to come in your work, in your relationships, here in church community, here in Long Island. And if you do that, I guarantee you, you will be changed. The communities around you will be changed. Your relationships will be changed. You'll be changed because you'll have an identity that won't give you more pressure and anxiety to achieve and perform. But it will give you rest, knowing that the God of the universe loves you and approves of you, not because of what you could ever do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. You won't be crushed by what's to come or any of your failures, past, present, future, because it's been finished. That person is dead and you've been raised to new life and now your worth is not up to you. And your worth will be established by what the God of the universe says over your life. And that can never, ever change and you can never be rejected. That kind of stability, that kind of love and approval is what's given in a baptized identity in Christ. Uh, we, we just sang about it earlier in our service, an amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. That's the kind of life we're meant to live out. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the work of your son and what he has done in order that we might now be brought to new life in you, a life that we could never, never get, nor deserve on our own. And yet that is how much you show us your love because you love us with unending love and unending grace. We thank you for that. Would uh, Grace Hamptons be a church community that lives into its baptism more and more? Pray that by your spirit and in your name, amen.